You know, sometimes we forget that the worship team has a lot of stress and a lot of busy schedules, and they they choose to show up here, you know, early to practice and stuff. So encourage them, pray for them, and uh, and if you have that gift, you know, come talk to us. We'd love to give you that opportunity to join us in, in worshiping our Lord. Um, my name is Doug Wallace. I'm the youth director here at AIC, and <laughs> I got dressed up in a tie today, and I talked to one of our elders, a, uh, a friend of mine, and he came up to me, and he said, wow, is that real? Are you wearing a tie? Try to see if it was like a clip-on or something, you know. Um, then I had one of our youth tell me I look like a French waiter. <laughs> and then I had another one come up to me and go, oh, you look like the schoolboys at my school, their school uniform. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's okay, I don't really care. Um, so it's a pleasure to have you here with us this morning. And uh, before we get into the text, I wanted to explain the, the title a little bit. It says, what are we doing? And I know some of us, or a lot of us actually in here, English is not our first language. And so I wanted to explain what I meant by that so you can get a clue into a little bit uh, the, the context and the, and the message. And so when we're saying what are we doing, it kind of depends on the emphasis. So today, as you see, the yellow is emphasis on the doing. And it's kind of this idea of like, what are we doing? And so it, it can imply that Something we're doing is wrong, we're not doing the right thing, or maybe it's crazy. Like you'll see someone grab their hair and go, what are we doing? And so to tell you a little story uh, to kind of explain that, um, I'll, I'll share with you a pet peeve of mine that maybe a lot of you don't know, but some of you may have picked up on by looking at my facial expressions. But... Uh, one of my pet peeves is when people put their hands on my daughter's face. When I have a daughter, she's almost five. And it drives me crazy when people come up because she's so cute. And I know she's got the soft skin and people want to come up and touch her. But it's just weird to me. And then to take to me the creepy level to another level, they have to do that talk to a puppy voice. You know what I'm talking about? Like... Oh, you're so cute. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're so cute. You're a good girl. You're a good girl. And I'm just sitting there going, what are you doing? Like, stop. And so that happens time after time after time after again in years of this frustration. And I'm just like always just sitting there going. And so (laughs) me and my daughter, we came home back to our apartment and we get in the lobby. And by lobby, I mean a closet space. Like if there's two elevators, and if you want to get to the second elevator, you have to go, excuse me, excuse me, and go, and go. And then so when you're in there, you're like on top of each other. And so I get in there with my daughter, and there's an old lady waiting for the elevator, and I go, okay, here we go. And I'm thinking, uh-uh, not today. I'm not in the mood. Don't you dare. I'm not in the mood. This is what I'm thinking in my head. And of course, she bends down and starts rubbing her face, and because it was in Cantonese, she's saying like, Holinga, Holinga, 
乖乖 ，such a good girl, so pretty. She she just keeps going. She's like, oh, Lena, oh, oh. And I, I, I'm like, don't do it. I'm like, okay. And then, and then I, I'll be honest, I just lost it. Okay. And don't worry, I didn't deck her. I didn't punch her. Okay. No, I'm not crazy. All right. But I, I lost it, and I'm like, okay, okay. And then all of a sudden, without even thinking about what I'm doing, I bend over. And I put my hand on her face, and I go, "Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, that's so good." I'm not making this story up, okay? If, if you ever seen like an Adam Sandler movie, he's like, I don't know why his movies are successful because he's not that funny and he's always a jerk. And like, I became Adam Sandler. Like, I had that, like, "Oh yeah, that's good, lady." And like, and then it was just this moment. I'm like, "What am I?" Doing, you know, and it was just like crazy. Like, am I really doing this? And to make it a little bit better, and by better I mean worse. It was a few weeks later. Um, I, I went over to my wife's family for Chinese New Year, and you know, you have the dinners with the family, and then after you get to like the second day or the third day, then people start visiting, and in walks this lady. It was the lady I put my hands on her face, <laughs> and I didn't realize it at the time because it was a few weeks later. But my wife told me later. She's like, "You know, that's the lady you did that to, right?" And I was like, "Oh boy, what am I doing?" So there's kind of this idea of what are we doing? There's something we're doing wrong, or sometimes it's we're not even doing anything at all, and it's kind of like, "What are we doing?" You know, there's. People over there helping homeless, or there's something going on, and you're looking over there, and you feel like you're not doing anything. It's like, what are we doing? So we're looking at that, and、um, I wanted to pray before we start to get into the text. And、um, there's some, you know, stuff going on in the news, or stuff going on here in this church that's really heavy. So we need to take a moment to pray.、Um, I've been talking with the youth about stuff. They've been reminding me stuff that's going on. So let, let's spend a little time in prayer, maybe a little bit longer than I usually would before I start. But I think it's important because we have a lot of a lot of stuff that's heavy on our hearts. And I ask you,、uh, as a brother in Christ, that please, as the day goes, be praying for me because this is a heavy message, and it's you know I'm nervous as usual, and I, I just want. I want to communicate God's word. I want Him. I want you guys to be more in love with Him when I get done, and, and more hope in Him. But it's a heavy message, so please be praying for me as the day goes.、Um, but let's go ahead and pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you for this time to come together as your church, as your family. Lord, you are a good God. You're faithful, God. You're an amazing God. You're so full of love and wisdom and power. Everything we have, the fact that I'm breathing right now is from you. The fact that we're here and alive, you control everything. And God, it's so easy to know that, but to put our trust in that and move forward in life is difficult. And Lord, there are there are things going on right now that are really painful and really hard. And I want to pray for the people in Taiwan as they deal with the earthquake. Lord, please comfort them, Lord. Show them your hope, your light. There's a lot of people that are afraid. There's a lot of people that are suffering, and、um, 
It's hard to explain why you are a good God in the middle of these things, but God, show them. Only you can show them that. Please comfort them. I think of um, Eric and Twinkie, Lord. May you bless them. Comfort them, Lord. Please be with them now, Lord. They need you. I think of Sally or Rosalie, Lord, her mom. May you heal her. May you bless Rosalie, Lord. Just please comfort her. Rally the church around her. And I think of those people, Lord, uh, with the bus accident yesterday, Lord. My goodness. Lord, may you be with their families. Help them to see you in this, God. Help them to see you in this. You are in all of this. You are still good. You still are love. There still is hope in you. And may you draw our eyes to you as we go through your word and speak through me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and take away anything that is of me. That's not just a cliche, Lord. I want you to speak. And I trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to talk about kind of what are we doing, but before we did that, I want to clarify some things so there's no misunderstanding because whenever we start talking about doing or works, there gets confusion in the church and some people may misunderstand what I'm saying today. So I wanted to take a moment to clarify that and I use one of the most famous passages and well-known passages where it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's what I believe. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. That's what we believe at AIC. In terms of your salvation, it is all about Jesus Christ. It begins with Him and ends with Him, not by what we do. This is actually the NLT, but this is um, one of my favorite verses, which is Romans 11.36. And... Um, In the NLT, it says, For everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. All glory to Him forever. Amen. We give all the glory to Him. The reason I can call myself a child of God is because of what Jesus did. And it has nothing to do with what I have done. So as I come today with this message, please keep that in mind. We're not talking about a works-based salvation. We're not talking about you earning favor with God. That's not what it's about. It's the beauty of the gospel is that you come to the end of yourself and you say, I have nothing to offer. And God says, that's okay. We have my son, Jesus. I've got you covered. But one of the things that happens, I think sometimes in our church around the world, and when I say church, I'm not just talking about AIC, is... What we refer to as hyper grace. And what, what I mean by that is it's just we get so focused on the first part of that passage and we pick and choose these passages and we feel so good about ourselves covered in grace. And it's just like this, like we just walk around just talking about grace, grace, grace. We're filled with grace, filled with grace, filled with grace. And it's like, yes, that's our salvation. But there's more than that. And we're going to talk about that today, and it's very important that we understand. If you read the second part of that passage, it 
But you can tell I'm a pro because I put my Bible down. It says, For we are his workmanship. He created us. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Think about that. We are his workmanship. We often talk about he's the master crafter. He made us exactly as we are. If you read in Psalm 139, it just talks about in great detail how much he knows about us and how he was in the womb and he, can, he created us as we are. But why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, the, the first part of that passage covers our salvation and then the second part of that passage covers why were we created? And that's so important to understand that we were not created. Our goal, our end game is not just to get saved. That's not why we're here. So as we look in the main text today, we're going to go through Matthew chapter 7 as we kind of wind down towards the end of um, the Sermon on the Mount. We see in Matthew seven twenty-one through 23... It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I, Jesus is now saying, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, just so you know, I underline on that day, what that's talking about is that's talking about every one of us at one point when we die or at the second coming of Christ, we will face Jesus. It says every knee will confess, um, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus is Lord. And so we're going to have this, what we call judgment day. And the Bible talks about two different judgment days. There's judgment day on one side where you're going to be judged for your sins if you are not a follower of Christ. And then there's a different judgment where it's more of Christ looking at you and saying, what did you do with your time? My son died for you. What did you do with your time? And what he's talking about here is the judgment seat of sins. And so these guys... We have to understand he's talking about people who claim to be Christian, people who profess the name of Jesus, people who call him Lord. Lord means master. And he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And then look what they say. Because he's saying, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. And what do they say? What is their qualification? Their qualification is, look what we did. Look at our mighty works. And we did them in your name. We, we prayed in Jesus' name. We read the Bible in Jesus' name. We did many mighty works in Jesus' name. We did them in your name. We were Christians. We did ministry. We did stuff. And that's what they give to him as their qualifications. That's their entry point. And it seems kind of harsh because Jesus says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And it seems like that's kind of harsh. That's not fair, but... He says, depart from me, I never knew you. See, they were doing lots of works, they were doing lots of stuff, but they didn't have that connection with Jesus. They weren't putting their faith in Jesus. They weren't going before 
the kingdom of heaven and saying the only reason I'm here is because of Jesus. They were saying, because of my works. Look what we did. So yes, we have that. Just like in Ephesians, we have that part of the passage where we understand it's not works, it's by grace. But then at the beginning, we forgot, or we sometimes skip over the part that says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it's kind of confusing. We're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're saved by grace, but Jesus says here, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven is the one will enter the kingdom of heaven. So people will read this verse, take it out of context, and build a works-based faith in terms of salvation. But if you actually read the text, read the Bible in its totality, you'll see that that's not what God teaches at all. That is not what God teaches. He's not talking about that's how you get into heaven. He's talking about that is the fruits of, of your life. And we'll talk about that a little bit today, but right before this passage, he has this uh, passage about false prophets, and he says, when you look at the false prophets, you will know them by their fruits. And their fruits, if you read the Bible, is just talking about like what comes out of their life. What is the consequences? What are the good things, the bad things? What do they teach? What are the people around them? How do they act? What is their life like? And so when he's talking about the false prophets, he's not even really even talking about the fact that they're doing false teaching. He's saying, yeah, there's false teaching, but just look at their life. Look what comes out of it. And so in this passage, he's not saying, but the one who does the will of my Father because of their doing is getting in heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you are my child and you are a follower of Christ, you're going to do what I say. And we'll look at that a little bit more today. Earlier in chapter 7, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter, it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now most of us have seen this or heard this, but have you ever considered the fact that this is not talking about narrow gate is us in church, Wide gate is those people out there, the heathens, as some people would say. And this is something we need to really understand, and it changes our view of church. Is When he's talking, he's talking to the disciples and the crowd that had come around. When he finishes the passage we're going to talk about today, it says, the crowd heard and was amazed. So he's talking to the disciples and he's talking to the people that came around. These people came up the hill, the Sermon on the Mount, and they're just there wanting to know more about Jesus. Some are going to follow, some are going to go away. And so he's talking to these people and we have to understand this is not just a message for church people versus unchurched. That was a term that became popular in, in, in American church in the last decade or two. And I, I just really didn't like that because they felt like if you said one person's a believer and one person's a non-believer, that was offensive. So they said, let's just say they're churched and unchurched. And then they came with this seeker-sensitive movement, which was like, okay, just get them in the church, 
Don't say anything too uncomfortable. Make them comfortable. Get the music right. Tell them what they want to hear. And then they'll be churched. And then they'll figure it out. But the problem with that is God doesn't call us to be churched. God calls us to surrender, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. And there's a big difference I want to show you a quick video from Francis Chan. Um, it's, we have a license for Right Now Media, which is, has a, it's almost like Netflix for Christian videos, which if you want that, we have the license to give to you. You can watch a lot of resources. But it's out of the basic series, and I encourage you to watch that. I know we went through some of that before in some of our community groups and stuff, but it's a very short little video. And... You'll get a sense of what I'm talking about here with what Francis Chan says. So please pay attention to the screen. Why does that work in church and not anywhere else? Look, when, when, when my daughter comes to me and I say, hey, go, go clean your room, she knows better. She, she's not going to come back a couple hours later and say, hey, Dad, I memorized what you said to me. You said, go clean your room. You know, what am I going to say? Oh, good job. That's what I wanted. No. And she's not going to come to me and say, Dad, I can say, go clean your room in Greek. Listen, that's not going to fly. And what if she says, you know what? My friends and I, we're going to gather together and every week we're going to have a study and we're going to figure out what it would look like if I cleaned my room. No, none of that's going to fly. Just go and clean it. She knows that. So why do we think that this type of thinking or this type of talk is going to work with Jesus? I mean, Jesus was as black and white as you get. He would look at people and he'd say, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? He says that in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I ask you to do? I mean, why would you call someone your master and then not listen to him. And, and he says in Matthew 7, 21, he goes, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's only the one who actually does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see what he was getting at. You know, it's pretty clear. But often in church, that's what we do. We fill, it, we fill up with the how-to, and we get together and we talk about how-to, and we read the latest books, we watch the latest videos, and we do that. But then a lot of times we don't actually do anything because we're filled with the grace, you know. We've, we've got what we wanted out of the deal. We, we got salvation. We're done. And coming to church is kind of like an end point. Um, just to do one more passage and then we'll kind of move on. Uh, in, in Matthew later, Jesus says, What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And when he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, the second son said, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father, they said? They told him the first. See, that's, that's often what happens in our church is we make a declaration to follow Christ. We have that moment. We pray that prayer. We raise our hand. We 
you know, we do the dance or we do the thing and then we're, we're done. You know, it's like, okay, I'm in. I'm in the club. And we have this culture where we believe, we try really hard not to do bad things, and we go to church, and it's like, done. You have to understand what I'm trying to talk to you today is not to say, okay, you guys stink at life, you stink at church. And I'm not talking specifically only to us, okay? This is the worldwide church. But honestly, I'm also talking to myself. Whenever you teach something, who's the person that often learns the most? We've heard this over and over. It's the teacher. And so when you go through a passage like this, it's like heart-wrenching, you know? And I'm thinking, wow, what, what am I going to say to the people? Because it's going to come across as I'm saying, be like me. You guys are no good. Be a Christian like me. You're not Christian. That's not what I'm saying. Please understand. And I'll try to uh, communicate that a little bit today, but that's not the heart of my message, okay? Please understand that. When I went through this study, it was like very convicting. But what I love about the Holy Spirit is He doesn't leave you in a pile of guilt and woe is me. He convicts you and then moves in you to, to help like encourage and inspire you to move forward. I want to give you a little example. Um, we'll do this in two parts. The first part is it's a Monday morning conversation. Okay, so here's the setup, all right? You've been inviting your friend to church for years, your coworker, and you're so excited. They finally came. You're like, okay, this is going to be amazing. You bring them into the church you go through the day and you're thinking, wow, that, that, was, that was really cool. Like the sermon was on point, the music was good, people were nice to him. That was just amazing. And then, and then they leave and then you go to work the next day and you can't wait to talk to them. And you're going up to them and you're saying, oh, okay, okay. You're just thinking, I, I, I can't wait till the end of the work. So you go up to them and say, can, can I take you to lunch? And they're like, yeah, I, sure, sure, we can go to lunch. So you get to lunch, and you're so excited. They pick up the menu, and they start reading, and then you just you spat it out. And you're like, okay, so how, so how was it yesterday? Do you want to come again next week? How, how, what did you think? What, and they're like, slow down, okay? I just want to order my food. Calm down. And you're just so excited, and you're thinking, oh, man. And finally, they take a breath after they order, and they know what you want, and so they just... You say, you know what, it was, it was nice. You know, it was nice. It, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was nice. You know, I went and I showed up. First, there was like 10 people in the whole building. I wondered if we'd come to the wrong place. And I, people were nice to me, though. Then we sat down, we sang some songs, and honestly, it was a little awkward and uncomfortable because you know I don't believe. So these words are words that when you sing, they're supposed to be from your heart and you believe, so I didn't know what to do, and it was a little awkward, but they seemed nice. And the guy, he, he got up and he did a good lecture. I mean, I think it was good. I was on my phone half the time, but so were you. And when I looked around, it seemed like every half the congregation was on the phone themselves. And 
And so I missed a lot of it, so I didn't really take away much from it. It seemed nice. He made a couple good points. And then after, people were nice, but then they kind of just ran away. It seemed like everybody was in a hurry. And then it was really cool. You took me out to lunch, and I appreciate that. Thank you for buying me lunch. And your friends are really nice. And, like, we talked about, you know, our, our, our jobs and our kids and their education, you know. And, and it, was, it, was, it was nice. You know, your friends are nice. But to be honest, Sunday morning is like the only day I can sleep in and get rest. It's the only day I can really spend time with my family and calm down. And I thank you for inviting me to your church, but is that it? I mean, is that what you guys do every week? Because you've been telling me about this for years, and I was thinking, oh, maybe there's some hope in this. And then I came, and that was it. And it was nice. But I have nice. I can talk to my friends about my job. I can talk to my friends about my kids' education. We talk about that all the time. And so I I grew up in this culture um, of church just being that and church just being something you just showed up to. And it was like, if you were a Christian, you went to church and that was it. And I remember when I was 16 years old, my parents, they said to both me and my brother, they said, you know, we're not going to force you to go to church anymore. This has to be your decision. And I'm 16 years old. And honestly, at that time, the only thing that mattered to me was, were girls. Like, that was it. And so, in order to chase after girls, you had to have time for girls, you had to be around them and it's different in hong kong like when you're 16 you get to drive and you get to go pick up a girl or go somewhere where girls are and so obviously saturday night's one of the biggest nights to do that after they gave me that freedom and i'm not saying that's the right thing to do as a parent and if your kids are in here right now and they're going yeah do it he said no i'm not saying that okay so listen to the rest of the story first i just stopped going because to me it was like yeah, I believe in God. I still call myself a Christian, but it's like kind of, you know, what's the point? Like, why go there if that's the end game? If, that's, if the whole point is just getting in the building and kind of just getting through the day and smiling and being nice, talking about surface stuff, and then you're done, and then like that's the whole existence of your faith? And that's how it was for me for a lot of my life. And it was like, I'm sorry, what the world has to offer is a little bit nicer. Of course, remember, 16 years old. Um, So I'm not going to go spend a lot of time going into my whole testimony. But just to give you a little bit to know where I went, is I went and I tasted just about everything the world can offer. And, and some of you guys see me as the youth director, the church guy, and, you know, and I'm standing up here talking, and you're thinking, oh, he's the good guy, we're the bad guys, he's trying to get us to be like him, and um, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And I just briefly explain who I am on my own, apart from Christ, is I chase the girls, and I did anything and everything to enjoy life. And it was fun for a while. I got heavy into drinking. Uh, I remember coming home, 
my friend dropped me off one day. We just smoked marijuana, and I told him, I think I just found my new best friend. And I was smoking marijuana off and on for the next 10 years. I used to be a smoker, used to go to bars, used to go to clubs. Um, and I, I could go on and on in stories. Like, just like for me, a, a soft night, like if I could, I've got an exam tomorrow, I've got work tomorrow, I better cut it off at about six to eight beers. That was like a slow night for me. And so I got wrecked by life and by pursuing that. Because for me, what I did is I looked at church and I said, this is all there is? This looks, this looks more exciting. And they've, they've got a lot of girls out there and they've got a lot of stuff to do. And I went that way and I did that and I got wrecked. And I have no one to blame but myself. I don't blame the church. I don't blame anybody. That was me and my sin choosing to go my own way. And I have to take ownership of that, and I do. And I'm grateful I had parents who would tell me what I was doing was wrong, but still loved me and prayed for me. They didn't kick me out or reject me. They were hard on me, and they they loved me. And I remember I went to a church in California uh, it was the last church I was at that kind of became a home church before I moved here. And I remember that the pastor would constantly talk to us about, if you're bored in your faith, he basically said, you're not doing it right. And what he meant was, there is so much purpose. There is so much to do. There is so, much, so many adventures and excitement there's so much you can pour your life in and be passionate about. There's so much you can do as a follower of Christ. We went over as a staff, and I <laughs> just remember this, um, and we went to see Bless Asia where a bunch of Christian artists, they, they pour out their passion, their heart in that. And I was blown away when I went there. That these, these, there were these Christians who use this art to give glory to God and, and, and speak messages to people. And it was so amazing. And there's, there's so many things you can do. But it's not about us saying, okay, this church is not enough. I'm not doing enough. So maybe I just got to go start doing a bunch of stuff. I got to get involved in ministry and I got to do this and I got to do that. And then you earn favor with God and then everything's fine. Of course not. But this church that I went to, they challenged us and they said, they used the analogy of sports and they said, when you're a Christian, you're supposed to be in the game. You're supposed to be out there getting your hands dirty. But most of us sit on the sidelines, just cheering on like, yay, Jesus. Okay, we'll pray for you. Good luck. And he would always say, there's no sideline Christianity. He'd say, pick up your Bible, read it. There's no, there's no position in that says do nothing and just show up to church and believe. And this can be a convicting or a message that makes you feel bad about yourself or this can hit something, can turn a light bulb on and go, wait a minute, is there purpose in life? Because one of the things that every religion and every ideology out there and people are offering and they're searching for purpose and so some people they come in they like the church it's nice it's good people are warm and fuzzy 
And then it just stops, and there's nothing else. And it's like, where's, where's the purpose? And Jesus says, I have something in store for you. But for me and my journey, not only did they challenge us to get involved, they challenged us to look at where we were at. And they would challenge us through the Word of God to examine ourselves, to say, am I really a follower of Christ? As Francis Chan said in the video, he said, Jesus said, Lord, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? And it's not just about the negative things. It's about positive things, and I'll explain that in a moment. But for me, I remember being in that church, down on my knees, in tears. And it was weeks and weeks of weeping. Because God was convicting me, and I learned firsthand the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's that moment where you say, I'm not right in front of God. I'm not living right. I'm not doing what he asked. I don't even know if I know him. And I had been in church for almost three decades, and I'm sitting there going, like, I have anxiety and worry. And I'm like, if I die today, if I get in that I get in a car or something happens. You know, and I start thinking those thoughts and I start wondering, am I really right with him? I mean, look at my life. I'm out there about on my 15th beer telling someone they need to go to church and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Like That's not okay. And for some of us, it has nothing to do with beer, but it has to do with our chasing after our own way, which is success, money, work our kids' education, and that's it. I don't have time for God. I don't have time for church. We've got an exam. I've got a deadline. I ain't got time for anything else. So it can be wherever you're at, but whichever way you've chosen, you've chosen a different way, and you've chosen a different purpose, and you've chosen a different focus for your life. And God brought me to that point where I was afraid because he is a mighty God and he will pour out his wrath on those who reject his son and who live in sin. And I remember I submitted my life to Christ. I surrendered my life to Christ. And it wasn't like I believe. It was like I'm tired of this. This this. Not of just showing up in a building. I'm tired of it. There's no hope in this. And God, I believe you're bigger than that. And I'm going to put my faith that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And there's nothing I can do to make up for my sins. And that I believe that you rose again from the dead. And that not only did you raise again from the dead, it doesn't stop there. Jesus is still alive. He is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, praying for us and saying, let's go. Pastor Mike said he was going to listen to this, so I'm going to give him a shout out real quick. Um, In American football, my Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. And one of the things the coaches and the players would say, and it's so cheesy, but they would just do it, and they would just get so amped up. They would just jump up, and they go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And that's what I felt like. I had been asleep my whole life. 
There's this Christian artist named NF. I mentioned him last time in my last sermon, and, and I mentioned again. He has this song called Wake Up. And he talks about he just walking through life, just paralyzed and numb and like just going through the motions. It's like, wake up. This coming here is not why we exist. It's coming here and getting together and being nice to each other. That's not it. Because honestly, if that's all it is, I don't know if I'd be here next week. Now, if God Almighty told me that's all it is in His Word and in His truth, then I would be here next week. But He doesn't say that. That's not the end of our purpose. And so when we look at things like where we try not to do bad things, and then we look at a passage like this, this is one of the most famous passages. We call it the golden rule, right? And what do we think of? Like, for me, when I grew up, it was how to not do bad things. Like, I would go over and I'd take someone's toy and push them, and then, you know, someone in church would come over and say, hey, do you want him to push you? You want him to punch you in the face? You want him to take your toys? No, well, don't do that to him. And it comes like a don't be a jerk golden rule is don't be a jerk. And that's how a lot, a lot of our faith is. It's like, it's not about loving Jesus and loving people. It's just try not to curse too much. Try not to drink too much. Make sure you're on church on Sunday. Don't sleep in too much. Don't sit on your phone too much during the sermon. And it's this whole try not to do, try not to mess up, try not to be a jerk. What does this passage say? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's not just a don't be a jerk rule. What do you wish people would do for you? If you could just think, the first thing that comes to your mind when you walk into church or you walk up to a friend, what do you want them to do for you in your life? Think about that. Do you want them to just not say bad words in front of you? Do you want them to just not gossip about you? Do you want them to just not use you and manipulate you? Yeah, of course we want those things. But what would you want them to do for you? I know what I want people to do for me. And yeah, okay, that's selfish. I want them to love me. I want them to understand who I am, but not leave me there. To accept me for who I am and encourage me and forgive me when I am who I am because I can, you know, do stupid things. But then also encourage me to say there's something more. Yes, this is how God created you, but he doesn't leave you there. I want people to teach me. I want people to walk by me when times are difficult. And often that's the easiest thing. Like, I know that's kind of weird when you say that, but like, sometimes we feel like, okay, we've been good to this person because when there was a funeral, we showed up. Or when they were in the hospital, we showed up. What about the rest of the time? When we're 
deep in stress, when our marriage is falling apart, when we're broken, when our parents are cursing us, when we're going through all these things, we just act like everything's okay and we're not in this together. And it's the same thing with God. God doesn't want us to come to Him and just not mess up. He doesn't want our works. He doesn't want us to just not drink or not do this or not do that. He wants us to love Him, to trust Him, to spend time with Him, and then go out and do what He says. Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? I often talk to the youth and they, they, th- they think that reading the Bible, it's just, it's just another thing like going to church. Like, it doesn't even relate to me. What does it have to do? But when you look at a passage like this, when God says only those who do the will of the Father enter into the kingdom of heaven, you'd want to know what the will of the Father is. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Monday morning conversation part two. Same situation. You brought your friend. He finally came to church. You're so excited. You get to work on money, and you can't wait to talk to them. You walk in, and they have this look on their face. And they're so happy to see you. And you're thinking about going up and inviting them to lunch, but they come up to you and they invite you to lunch and they can't wait to talk to you. And they tell you a different experience. Because this, is, this, this, this Monday morning conversation is if they came to a church and what they saw was different than what we see every week. If we lived as Jesus wants us to live. And they come up to you And you go to lunch, and now you're trying to order, and they're trying to talk to you, and you're like, slow down, I just want to order. And they're like, okay, okay, can I come next week? Do you guys guys meet on other days besides Sunday? Is there any, like, like, is is that just it? Is it just once a week? Is that all? Because I need more. It was amazing. I went to your church. The people were, like, genuine. They talked to me. They listened to me. The person next to me Gave me a little nudge and told me to put away my phone. And I was annoyed at first, but when I started listening, I said, wow, the words of Jesus are amazing. And then after, we spent time together talking about it because I didn't understand it. And then we sat there and we got together and we said, did you hear what the pastor said? Did you hear what the words of Jesus said? Let's talk about this. And we talked about it. And then that, your friend from church, they started sharing about their broken marriage and everybody was crying and praying for them. And it was so real. Everybody was so real. And we were just, we were talking and then we took that with us when we went out to lunch. And then people didn't even want to leave. So we came back to church after and we were talking and we were praying for each other. Like, I need that in my life. When are you guys going to meet again? I don't want to wait until next time. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this all... that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We're supposed to live for the glory of God and these are wonderful passages that show you 
that living for the glory of God is action. It's not just belief. It's not just faith. The faith is salvation. It calls us to is something bigger than faith. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Faith in Christ is your entry. There's nothing we can do to gain his favor. But then God calls us to something more. And that's exciting. It can be intimidating, but it's exciting. There's more than this. And it's led by the Holy Spirit. And you can tell by the fruits of it. And I I talked about this last time when we talked about being salt and light. And that's a big part of it, loving one another. If you looked at those passages I just read, how we glorify God and how people know we are disciples, it looks a lot like our AIC mission. Our mission is to glorify God by loving Christ, loving one another, and reaching the world. And if you notice these are interdependent. I can't love others if I don't first love Christ because it is the love of Christ that comes through me. So I can't pick and choose. Only on Sunday, love Christ. The rest of the week, I'm on my own. I also can't love Christ if I'm not loving one another. Because Jesus says, I give you a new commandment to love one another. And it's not that I won't be a jerk kind of love. It's not that I'll be nice to you kind of love. It's that unstoppable love. I'm going to steal or borrow, I should say. Can't steal in church. I'm going to borrow a message from Francis Chan. And that's twice in one message, I know. But I was listening to a sermon and a podcast from him earlier this week, and he was talking about how he was struggling. And how he said, I opened up and I read through the book of Acts. He said, I've read through it a couple times in the last couple weeks, and you look at the book of Acts, and you see this church that's unstoppable. They love each other so much. They sell everything they have, and they share it with one another. They're crying together. They're praying together. They're going through the word together. And do you know what the fruits of that was? They could walk out into the streets together. We're both on the Jewish side and the Roman side. They wanted their heads. They had to go out and watch their brothers, their sisters, their fathers, their mothers killed slaughtered. He talks about how Stephen, so-called first martyr, he's sitting there and he's getting stoned to death, hit by stones, and he's looking up. He's saying, I see him. I see the Son of Man. I see Jesus as he's getting stoned to death. And one of the men that was at that meeting, Paul, Jesus takes his life, flips it upside down, and sends him. He becomes one of the greatest missionaries ever. And he gets partners. He gets Barnabas. He gets Titus. He gets Timothy. And he gets all these people together. And he didn't just believe. He went out there. And they were, they were facing death, stoning, imprisonment. You guys have heard this before, but it's real life. 
Imagine if you got the phone call that we heard someone we love went out on a mission trip and got stoned to death. And then the next day you hear someone got hung on a tree. And then the next day you heard they rounded up half of our congregation, took them into the Roman Colosseum and crucified them and let them be eaten alive by animals. There was this church that was facing this. And what happened during that time? They were unstoppable. Satan and the world were pulling out every single trick. Death, suffering, pain. And the church was going like this. They were unstoppable. And you look at that and you look at the power they had when they relied upon the Holy Spirit and the things they did and the things they spoke. They went in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was the rulers, the religious rulers at that time, and they warned them. They said, you do that and you're done. These men had the power to kill them if they wanted to. They had the power to just say, go stone them. They had, they had that special relationship with the Roman government. When it was a Jewish thing, the Jewish people handled it. When it was a law thing, the Romans handled it. So they could just stone. And they went up and they proclaimed in front of them, who am I going to listen to, you or God? I'm going to listen to God. And then Francis turns and he says, look at the church today. And I'm not talking about AIC. It's pretty stoppable. Change the color of the carpets. There's going to be division. Pastor leaves. New guy comes in. Someone like me, maybe not that great of a speaker. People leave. Music stinks. Not my kind of worship. I'm going somewhere else or I'm done. Someone betrays me. Someone borrows money from me and never pays back the nerve. I'm done with church. One of the elders hasn't happened, okay? Not here. Example. One of the elders cheats on his wife. How can, these are all hypocrites. How can I believe in this? How can I follow these people? I'm out of here. I don't like the way he teaches. I don't like the version of Bible he uses. I'm out of here. We're pretty stoppable today when you look at it. And I'm I'm not mocking, but this is the reality. How many times have we heard, I don't go to church anymore because the people at church weren't nice to me. They were just judgmental and hypocrites or... Fill in the blank. And, and you look at the book of Acts, and I, I really encourage you guys to go read that book. It's an amazing book. Because it kind of gets you reading at it, and you start, it's, it's really been convicting me for years, because along with Francis, I look at my life. I'm not just looking at the church saying you guys are doing it. I'm looking at my life and I'm going, it doesn't look a lot like that. And I'm not even talking about the power and the gifts, okay? I, I'm not a cessationist. I believe the gifts are still here, but I'm not even talking about that because usually when people go to the book of Acts, they want to talk about the gifts. I'm not even going there. I'm talking about 
how they poured their life out for each other and how they poured their life out for the gospel. They just laid it all out there and they said, let's go. We end with a passage here that says, and this is also a famous one, Every the, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Those are two completely different situations, but they had two things in common in both of them. Do you know what they were? Two things in common. They both heard the word. In both cases, they heard these words of mine. And in both cases, the winds came, the rains came, and the floods came. And for a lot of us, those winds, those rains, those floods, people getting hit by cancer, we talked about before, Marriages are falling apart. People are losing their jobs. You're working 70 hours a week and you're about to break and you just don't think you can take it anymore. Your kids won't listen to you anymore. Certainly aren't listening to God anymore. These winds and these rains and these floods, they're coming for all of us. And when we come in here and just play church, myself included, there's no hope in that. And one of the things you will see is this passage is not just an individual passage. We think, okay, I've got to go out and build my house on the rock on Jesus and I'll be okay. This is also a passage for the church. We as AIC are called to not just come here as a customer to sit in the seats and say, what do you got for me? We are called to build this house. This is the house of God. This is Jesus' house. We are to build this house on the rock. We are supposed to get our hands dirty. We are supposed to get in the game. And it's not just, okay, he's calling for more volunteers for the children's ministry. It's not that. I'm not saying we don't need that, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that it's 12.15 right now, and I'm probably going to hear from people that they're upset that I went five minutes over. And some of you are like, dude, shut up already. I got somewhere to be, and I'm sorry. Let's think about that. We don't even have time for each other. What does that say 
about us building our house on the rock, about us coming to church and making it about Jesus, when a lot of us just make it about us. And as soon as we can, we're gone. Out the door to live life our own way, for our own success, for the success of our family, for the success of our kids. I know we're over time, but I want to show you one more video. It's a short video, and then we'll end in prayer. And I want you guys to watch this video. It's about baptism, but it's bigger than baptism. It's always bigger than the work or the deed. Jesus is baptized at the beginning of his ministry, and at the end of his time on earth, he tells his followers that every believer should have an experience like that in their journey. Now, I was baptized when I was eight years old, but my journey hasn't always lived up to that moment. I've wandered, I've doubted, and sometimes I've just rebelled against God. So it begs the question, what was my baptism for? Was it inauthentic? Was it a, a poor attempt at an empty ritual? or a rite of passage that didn't stick? What's the point of a moment like that if our journey will still have its struggles? I mean, what is baptism, and why does it matter so much to Jesus? It turns out, as is often the case with Jesus, that there's actually a story behind the story. And the story behind the story in Jesus' baptism is the Exodus. When the Hebrew people were in Egypt, they weren't really a people at all. They were just a bunch of poor, extended family living in somebody else's country where they were property. Every day they went to work and they were reminded that they had no identity, no rights, no freedom by the lashes that hit their backs when they couldn't make enough bricks to keep up with the thriving economy of Egypt. Can you imagine the feeling of the lashes on your back when you couldn't keep up with the demands of your taskmasters? I mean, how about you? Have you ever come home from a day of work and felt like your identity was nothing more than a cog in a machine? Maybe you feel like even the people who are closest to you in life would rather use you than know you. What happens to our identity when the loudest voices are the ones that beat us down? So God looks down and he sees the Hebrew people and he sees that they know themselves as slaves and workhorses, but they don't know themselves as children of God, and he decides to do something about it. So he sends Moses into Pharaoh's courts. Moses says, let the people go. Pharaoh says no, and God sends devastating plagues on the nation of Egypt. Eventually, Pharaoh relents, and for the first time in generations, the Israelite people are free. They walk out of Egypt to become their own people. They come up against the waters of the Red Sea, and at that point, Pharaoh changes his mind, and he sends his armies to get them. And what do you do when you think that God has saved you and then you're not so sure? What do you do when doubt and struggle enter in? Maybe you don't do anything. Maybe God comes through. God sends Moses to lead. He puts his hands outstretched over the waters of the Red Sea and the waters literally part as the people of Israel walk through on dry ground. Now Pharaoh's armies think they can get to them, so they pursue them. Except as they enter the Red Sea, the waters come back in and swallow them up. 
and all of a sudden you're Israel. You've been saved twice already. You're standing on dry ground. You've come up out of the water. reading though and after God brings Israel out of the water you sort of wonder if he bet on the wrong horse because they still have struggles on their journey they still have problems along the way in fact there are moments when you flat out wonder if they lost their identity again after their Red Sea moment it's like they keep listening to these voices that whisper to them or shout to them and say you're not who you think you are but maybe that's the point God didn't bring them through the water because they would be perfect he brought them through the water because he knew that they would wander and that they would need an anchor in their story, a tether to their identity when lies get shouted at them about who they are in their future. Now, baptism for Jesus doesn't just look back to the Exodus. It looks forward to, because our deliverance didn't happen at the Red Sea with Moses' arms extended. It happened at the cross with Jesus' arms outstretched. We weren't rescued from Pharaoh's army. And we've been saved from the slavery of sin. It's not the waters that cleanse us, but they symbolize a life that has gone to the cross with Jesus and come up from the grave with a new identity of freedom in Him. As we're going to have moments when we're tempted to believe that we're the old us instead of the new us. You're going to have voices screaming at you that say that you're not holy, you don't belong to Him, you aren't loved. But you and I are given a moment to step into the waters to feel grace wash over us from head to toe. Jesus says be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Your sins may seem to pursue you, but they've been drowned in the blood of Christ shed at the cross. We've been renamed, reclaimed by Jesus. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. We are children of God. Engage in a defiant act of protest against the voices of shame that chase you and tell the world that you belong to Him. Let me first uh, apologize as God was making me, <laughs> reminding me that I was a little arrogant in what I talked about the time. <clears throat> um, you do have important things to go to. We have people that need to go pick up their children, so I do apologize for that. Um, that was not right. Uh, but I do wish, I do long for a time where, you know, we just, we make more time for each other. And then when we make time for each other and we build those relationships and then we say, hey, let's go do what Jesus told us to do. Let's go do it together. Let's walk out there and let's go help. Let's go shine together. Let's not just be here and that's the end. The baptism is not the end. When you read the scriptures, they believe, they repent put their faith in Christ, baptized, beginning, then they move on. That's the let's go moment. And what he said there is so true. Every day 
you, you may have these voices that say, you're not good enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You don't go to church enough. You don't do this enough. You know, and you get these negative thoughts in your head. Would a Christian really think that or do this or say that? And you say, you know what? I'm a child of God, not because of what I did or didn't do, but because of what Jesus has done. And every day we have, we have a chance to wake up and say, yeah, maybe I haven't been doing what Jesus said. Maybe I've just been playing church. But today's a new day. Today's a new day because of who Jesus is. Today's a new day because he's brought us here to AIC. And when we huddle together and we start serving and doing what he said, and we start seeing how amazing God is and the way he works, and we experience him, and then we have something terrible like Pastor Mike leaving. You know, we go over there and we love him and we pray for him and his family and we thank God for the time we've had for him. But then when, when they're moving on, we trust God. We say, God, you, you have them. And then we come back in and we sit there and we go, okay, we're already ready to go. We already know what we're doing. We're already in this. Our hands are dirty. We've got our plan. God is sending us out. We know what to do. And I love you guys. Let's do this. Let's go. And we don't have to sit there and go, oh, no, our pastor's leaving. What do we do now? What's going to happen? Who's going to teach us? Who's going to lead us? What direction are we going to go? What are we going to do? Because when we jump in and say we're all in, we don't have to rely on the new pastor or the old pastor. We just rely on God, and we do this together, and we say, let's go. This is not about our church stinks. This message is about the church and around the world, okay? But we have an opportunity to change. Just like in baptism, die to your old life, you have your new life. Jesus offers us a new life. We can do this together. If you want to be a part of that, come talk to us. Come pray with us. And maybe... Organize your schedules to leave a little bit more time on Sundays to talk to each other and pray together. You know, talk about the message. Go out to lunch. Talk about the message. Open up your Bibles together. Pray together. Love each other. So we can live a life where we go, I have purpose, and my purpose is Jesus, the glory of Jesus Christ, and I've got family to do it with. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for how wonderful you are. No matter how many times I've failed in my life, no matter how many times I've failed as a youth director, no matter how many times I've failed as a Christian, I know it's not about me. It doesn't excuse my failures. It doesn't excuse my bad behavior, but it's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. It's always been about you and always will be about you. And I pray for this church. Lord, wake us up. Not because we're a bad church, but because you are calling us to something bigger and greater and it's not about us, it's about you. Lead us, Lord. We want to follow you. We want to know you. We want to love you. We want to be used by you. We want to reach the world. There's brokenness, Lord. Use us. Change us. Renew us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
Teach us from your word and change us from the inside out. Help us to love one another. That's not easy, God. It's uncomfortable. Help us to love one another for your glory. For you deserve all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.